Hey everyone, welcome to the Community Exchange Podcast brought to you by OpenWeb. On this podcast, we're tracking the development and growth of the community economy, the emerging economic engine of the open internet. We're doing that by talking to the leaders in tech, media, trust, and beyond who are bringing it to life. Joining me today is Peter Wang. Peter is the founder of First Principle Studio, former chief technology officer at BuzzFeed and Refinery29, angel investor. As you'll hear, uh, he's got a lot of irons in the fire. I'm really excited Peter is joining us today on the Community Exchange. In our conversation, we talked about building communities, trust, AI, AR, and how all of these factors are creating the conditions for a better, healthier web to emerge. Um, We'll get right to that. But first, of course, the Community Exchange is brought to you by OpenWeb. OpenWeb's mission is to improve the quality of conversations online, building a healthier web where content creators of all kinds are empowered to thrive. As a product company, OpenWeb partners with publishers and brands to build strong, direct relationships with their audiences. OpenWeb's technology empowers its partners to build vibrant communities rooted in healthy conversations and robust social experiences. Today, OpenWeb partners with more than 3,000 top publishers and hosts more than 120 million active users each and every month. Now, let's get on with the show. Peter, you've worn a lot of hats in your career. Uh, I'm curious to understand a little bit more about your trajectory. So you went from first you're on the publisher side, serving as the CTO of, I think, Refinery29 uh, and then BuzzFeed. Uh, And now you've founded First Principles Studio. Um, So can you take us through that and explain what First Principles offers? Yeah, definitely. Maybe I can, one thing I can do is just take a real quick career journey to to talk about the the path. I actually started my career in financial services for the first couple of years in the early 2000s. And um, after the financial crisis of 08, uh, I went into the startup world and uh, went to a company called Buddy Media in the marketing SaaS. So I was in the enterprise SaaS world for a bit, uh, running engineering, and then I was acquired by Salesforce. And actually, that was the beginning of understanding social because Buddy Media was running, um, building tools for brands to manage their social presence in the social 1.0 world. Um, and that was introduction to social. Then from there, I went to a company called App Savvy to run sponsorship and ads for the beginning gaming companies, Zynga's of the world, Scopely's of the world. And that's how I understand agencies for the very first time, what agencies do. And then we, we did a co-written research papers with them. This is all before programmatic advertising. So it's very early days. And then from there, I went to Refine29, the CTO. And that from that role helped me understand the publisher perspective in many ways, starting social advertising publisher world. And fast forward, most recently I was the CTO of BuzzFeed. And that also helped me understand not only from publisher world, but I think BuzzFeed's world is very complicated from film, commerce, multi-brand portfolio approach. That's also different than say Refinery 29 itself. And first principle studio I started in February uh, of this year. And actually what it does is there's three, three main things, but I can break it down a little bit. The very first thing is just continuation of all the investment that I've done for the last 10 years or so. I've done a lot of engine investing for about 30 companies so far. I'll continue doing that. About 10% of my, maybe 15% of my time spent there. 25% of my time probably spent on advising companies and consulting with companies to help product strategy, uh, especially in the AI strategy space specifically. 
And actually the 60% I spend on more operating incubating ideas. That one is actually being, because I do think that every company actually, I know later on we're gonna be talking about agency as well. It's pretty important to have a lot of operating uh, aspect to it. So you can stay grounded in building products. And I can talk a little bit more later if we want about the products of being incubating. Yeah, sure. Um, actually, <clears throat> yeah, let's get back to that. First, I want to introduce Joy. Um, and so Joy, you're the general manager of trust and safety at OpenWeb. We've had you here before, so welcome back. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background for those who didn't hear you previously uh, and the work that you do with us here at OpenWeb? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, like you said, GM of trust and safety. I've been doing trust and safety, online community, moderation, um, virtual worlds, what I do has been called a myriad of different things over the last 20 years, um, and I've uh, accepted that <laughs> and um, just kind of rode the wave of uh, emerging tech and how to connect with audience members um, and in the most efficient but genuine way that we can do that. So um, at OpenWeb, heading up trust and safety, I'm uh, making sure that all of our moderation functions are working and then also um, seeing how we can improve, constantly improve our um, AI and machine learning models that we use to help do that moderation, but then also acting as a uh, subject matter expert uh, and doing thought leadership in the area of trust and safety and talking about privacy policies, um, uh, international compliance uh, to data privacy, um, and then also just where we and our publishers and anyone else working in this field can uh, stay ahead of the curve as far as um, integrity and trust and safety is concerned. All right. Well, thanks for joining us again. Uh, so yeah, Peter, actually, before we kind of get into the, the discussion, um, maybe it'd be good for you to take us through some of the companies you guys are investing in, the projects that you're working on at First Principles. Um, because I imagine as we talk through you know, the development of the community economy and um, all that, that we'll talk about in a few minutes, probably be good to have that background for us. So we, you know, I'm sure there's going to be lots of examples to pull from. Yeah. And actually, so maybe there's one well, I'll talk about two companies specifically. Um, one is actually the physical space. One is the digital space. Um, they're actually, the physical product actually is a water product. Uh, it's actually a local company that I acquired through First Principal Studio re most recently. It's actually a new water brand that we're going to be putting out there into the world. Uh, I know this is, might not, maybe a surprising for a lot of folks. Um, most of the water business out there is owned by large conglomerates like Coca-Cola's of the world. And there's a few smaller water brands uh, coming out. There's one in Santa Monica. Um, and now we're going to be building a new one here in Temecula, which is also Southern, Southern California as well. Um, I just recently required it and we're going to be doing a rebranding and putting back out there to the world. So in this case, it's about much, it's about focusing on health conscious individuals, family oriented uh, folks uh, in from very Southern California way and exporting out to the rest of the country. So over the next few months, we're going to be very focusing on understanding the consumers who care about, and actually water is coming back, right? Sugar drinks are going away. Soda's going away. Water is actually making a comeback, especially younger folks too. So that's going to be very interesting for us to really think about the consumers, how to reach them. What is the story that we tell? What's the branding that we need to do and so on and so forth. So that's the very first 
physical product. And I would say the brand name, I can't mention yet because we're still working on a few specific names before we make it official. The second product is, is digital. Uh, they're also very community driven as well. It's focused on the podcasting community currently. And the product's called Waffly. It's, uh, it's like a waffle, but with a Y. Um, and um, it's one that has been incubated for a while. And the primary thesis is that today's podcasting, which actually we're doing right now, often 60, 90 minutes long. And special knowledge seeking podcasts are has a lot of hidden nuggets inside, but the experience has always been fairly one way. It's very flat, it's listening specifically, and it's actually hard to get and highlight like the contextual layers on top of it. For example, the concepts we're gonna talk about, the people we're gonna mention, the locations, the history events, the books and so on and so forth. How do you make that come to life so that people can actually get the knowledge out of it? So we'd imagine a much more, a better platform that can make, make more 3D. And I think Substack has done a good job of making emails, which has been around for decades, into becoming more and more community-like for creators to build community and monetize them better. And for people to be able to have more control and choice of both from creator perspective and community perspective. So, and that's that Waffly concept is evolving, um, but it's one I'm pretty excited about. I think it fits so, the thesis. Yeah. Really wide range of, uh, of companies. Uh, <laughs> I think yes. you're right about young people and, uh, and water, the number of hydration memes on TikTok. I, every time I go on there, I see more. Water's um, cool, man, which is actually good to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's not, that's really great. Um, I think, uh, also, uh, both of them, but especially the second one that you mentioned, um, has a lot to do, uh, with what we're going to talk about now. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, yeah, so I'll just jump into our first question here. Um, this is the community exchange podcast and, um, on it, as I mentioned, we're tracking the development and the emergence of the community economy. Um, so for anyone listening who perhaps hasn't heard this term before, when we say community economy, we're referring to this future state of the open internet. And we, we see it emerging today, uh, in this configuration, we have print, uh, sorry, brands and publishers, they can become with their community economic engines that can thrive independently, very importantly, outside of the walled gardens um, that really characterize, you know, web 2.0. Um, so obviously, uh, Peter, you spent a lot of time thinking about how to build audiences uh, in these new projects and in projects uh, past uh, and the role that, that tech plays in that. Um, so where do you think the best opportunities lie for building active and highly engaged communities outside of the walled gardens. Yeah, I think this is a, for first of all, I just want to say, I do love the community economy, the branding itself. Um, actually, when I first read about the question and, and the reference, I think your CMO is the one who coined it. Um, I find it just a lot more grounded in the root of what we're trying to do. Every brand is a creator, right? Individual or a collective. And we're all trying to build a community. And by shifting the focus from the creator itself to whom we're serving actually feels a lot more in, insightful. And that also ties to what can, what, what are the opportunity? Obviously, actually the very first one, I would say every product should be community first approach. And I know community is a word, a buzzword has come and go for the last decade. Myself, it's been included in there. Um, but technology has evolved quite a bit 
uh, and actually one thing that's good about the work community and how it's evolved the last 10 years is it has not gone away regardless of how much life has changed. It's like an evergreen thing. And the world is becoming more confusing and complicated than ever. Uh, yesterday, as of yesterday, right, Apple just released their AR and people are talking about what does that mean? This AR, VR, this, this is a new world, is emerging and so on and so forth. Um, AI itself has taken off the last, I would say, eight, probably six to 12 months, less than 12 months, right? And so on. But what would not change is people, community itself. That's why I really love the term. Um, and what's really surprising also would say that even though so much technology has evolved, um, it still is challenged to build a strong community. That uh, whether it's in, whether you're building a brand in CPG, whether you're building a brand in healthcare or financial, financial services, community is just a hard thing to do. And so that A remains remains as the as the as a challenge and the opportunity. Uh, but two, I am fairly um, encouraged by some of the new products that's coming out. Like obviously, Substack, I know I mentioned a little bit, is one that is I think caught many of us by surprise in a way. It's such a quiet product that existed for a while, coming into the surface in a in a way that. Has caught us somewhat off guard and say, actually, actually, this is a simple product, but has brought creators and communities together in a way as never seen before. And I would say a few reasons other and other brands perhaps could could also um, learn from. One is uh, using Substack as, as an example. It does give a lot more control on both sides the creators themselves in terms of how they publish, who they publish to, the tool, a lot more tooling on their side, um, but also give community a lot better tooling as well. For example, how do we subscribe? Who do we follow? The recommendation based on your interests, give a lot more control. And I have found myself to install the Substack app uh, and actually using that as a one of the primary knowledge consumption, information consumption app Going forward, that's like a pretty behavior change I noticed myself. In the BuzzFeed, we spent a tremendous amount of time thinking about communities as well. And I think one I would bring up here is probably the Tasty, the food community specifically. That one we spent a lot of time to think about not only the utility of recipes, which is evergreen, but how do you build a community around it? And specifically, every community has characteristics. In this case, it would be called home chefs specifically is what Tasty is about and about people who not just want to create fancy food, but it's about having fun with food. And that was a very important, like a very focused thesis around how do we then build a community feed, which we have people would not only share, um, not commenting on, on, on recipes, but actually tips to help one another. And then they would take photos of their own, like, hey, I did this, here's what it looks like sharing little bits of how they approached and their results. And that community feed has been very popular and important actually aspect for building a loyalty and also retention on the app. So that would be a real, a real life example of having very focused audience utility, building a product around it uh, in a food space. I have a question. Um, yeah. You've said that you invest in a lot of different products and companies. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, community is one of the important aspects that you look at. 
Are there components of a new or existing brand that you look at in the way of community that um, you've seen are potential indicators that they're going to be more of a success or they have more of a potential for success because of the different aspects of the community? Yeah, there's a few things. One is, and I know people would probably say this as well, a deep understanding of your community. And I think one thing that I do see is when the community definition is too broad, let's say I just say even food community, people who like food is too broad. What kind of folks, what kind of food? demographics too, in this case for tasty, it wasn't about age demographic, demographical age. It's actually about interest and the way they approach food. Um, that also informs the content creation itself and the way the app works, uh, the user experience itself. So that's definitely number one. Number two, there's a sense of commitment to community. And I think commitment is one that I see a lot of products don't commit to. They kind of have a component to it. For example, publishers with the commenting modules, and I'm speaking to all the publishers my, myself, I've worked with and brands, is in the community. It's not enough. Um, it is a beginning of giving people a way to express and react. But to truly build a community, people need to connect with one another. So the question would be, if you're a content publisher, how are people in your commenting module connecting with each other? Can they talk to one another? Uh, can they find out more about others inside the community? This is where Substack, I will give an example of that as well. Um, if I go to your profile, I can see what emails do you subscribe to, to get a feel. Or, okay, Joy, subscribe to these, we share some interest. Therefore, becoming a beginning of me reaching out. And is there a way to reach out? How do I reach out? How do I sustain that relationship with you? Initiate and sustain. So I would say three things would be clear definition of the community, understand community, commitment to the community beyond just initial uh, touch points, and also ability to, for people to initiate and sustain that relationship with one another. How much of um, building a community, especially when thinking about publishers, um, how much do you think it is that they're building a new community or that they're finding an existing community? And I guess this, this same question could be for brands or um, like you said, CPG or virtually any, any product or anywhere any consumers would spend their time. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, as you remind me of the water business itself, because this is something we would think about. Are we building one? And I would say, I don't think of ourselves as building one. Community exists out there already in different circles. And most of the time, communities are defined by uh, the role we play. For example, moms, right? Actually, there's a great, my, my wife and her group of community of moms um, or interests in this case. And I think a brand like the water brand or you know, CPG, it's really about the interest. And the interest are most, and interest and values, I would say those are overlap, good overlap between those two. It would be very important. Um, because health conscious is much more of a value. Family oriented is much more about a value. And they're all interested in having healthy right, options, in this case, particularly in the water space. Um, those will be, and I, I really think about brands about bringing people together that already have the interests, but they may not know each other. And therefore think of ourselves more of as a platform, uh, a space versus, um, Starting zero to one. Yeah, at OpenWeb we uh, we call it a host, 
right? So, and in, in the kind of publishers, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yep, like a dinner, like a dinner party. Actually, I talk about a, a good example of a good community. Actually, it starts at a wonderful dinner party. What does it feel like when you walk in? How did you find out about it? And when you walk in, do you feel familiar, or do you feel this is like, do I belong here? What are the rituals here, right, and so on and so forth? And what does it feel afterwards, during and afterwards? Do you, did you make more friends, people you can? Did you sort of expand or stay the same? Hopefully, you sort of expanded after the dinner party. Then you will come back again. Yeah, and I think um, key to this and uh, is trust, right? And obviously, <clears throat> we've already talked a little bit about trust. Um, so when we talk about the community economy, um, trust in the community, safety in the community, um, you know, data protections, uh, this is what the community economy really is, right? Um, and all of that kind of happening on the backdrop of this sort of post cookie world. Um, so, you know, publishers and brands that we've been talking about, they're building these, uh, one-to-one relationships. And when we talk about this, like being the host of a community, what they're doing, obviously, you know, is they're building first-party data relationships with their audiences. Um, so as they do this, you know, and as, we, as we've been talking about, they're becoming more and more independent, you know, and, and what we say is like um, independent economic actors outside the wall gardens, right? Um, so, uh, Peter, you've been on both sides of this, as you've been talking about, uh, and I guess it's not even both sides. If we have, you know, publisher, brand, and then totally outside of the digital world, uh, some projects as well. Um, so, how, uh, you know, talking about the community economy, um, how do you see this developing? And I guess by that question, what I mean is, um, this is something that I think some people think will happen very, very quickly and, and sort of sweepingly across the industry and across um, our kind of day-to-day experiences and in- interactions with publishers and brands, um, where I think others think this will be more of a very gradual change. Uh, and, and of course, if we look at a gradual change, you mentioned uh, AR, AI, um, these things will obviously have an effect on how these communities exist um, and who plays host to these communities. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering, how do, you, how do you really, this is a big question, obviously, but how do you kind of see these things uh, coming together, playing together, and, and where is it going? Yeah, it's a very broad question. I think there's many ways to depends on which angle you look, which dimension you look through. One, I would say one that is applies to anyone who's thinking about building community right now is that the number of options, the tools available to building communities is proliferating. Um, when I say tools, what I mean by that would be both physical and digital, right? Digital, obviously there's a lot more tools like, okay, how do I, where do I build community? How do I build community? What channel do I use to build a community? Um, what bite is it bi-directional? Should it be bi-directional. How do I get computer contact us? What about peer-to-peer amongst themselves, building communities? How do I personalize the experience for people who come in for the first time? What's the onboarding experience? Every single piece of that journey, there's a there's a list of companies targeting it. And that's going to continue to proliferate over time. And AI with the with the AI entering into the space. It simply accelerated the number of tools available. That's why I think it's a little confusing for people to figure out if I'm building a new community, what's the easiest way? How do I build that experience? Well, to to do so. Um, one thing I will say about AI in this context would be 
how to personalize in a way that brings value to the community. Um, for example, I'll, I'll give you an example of our two community. Let's say if you are in a community, um, actually, somehow in my mind, I'm, I taught a class in section school, which is like similar to Reforge. It's for uh, for people learning all, it's almost like all in BA school. And I was, I was a teacher in this guy, I'm a creator, right? That community I'm building is more about student and teacher relationship. I want to follow up with students afterwards. And AI example, actually what's interesting about AI, which is not done yet, is um, after the three hour session with students, what are the top questions that people have to quickly summarize it for me? Who are the people who are active in the class? Where people didn't ask questions in the class, uh, what are the demo? What are the cohorts that can quickly tell me based on job level, based on which industry they're in? Quickly give me the report. That is very will take a lot longer to do by manually attaching with their post-class feedback, so that when I'm following with students, I'm not following with 300 people individually, but I'm actually very specific cohorts. People who ask questions. People who didn't engage, what materials, and so on and so forth. That would be one example of a product section uh, can build AI uh, features into it to help building a much more longer lasting uh, community, in this case, between a student and the teacher. I, I love that idea of leveraging the tech to help the community become stronger and more, um, you know, help each other, help mm -hmm. possibly the brand, possibly, you know, the publisher, but um, connect with each other more. I, and and I, I'm seeing a lot of examples of that. I think the, the people who succeed the most in community adjacent uh, ventures are the ones who think deeply about how how they can do that, whether it's, you know, from their staffing and like how their staff engages with the community or leveraging tool sets or providing tool sets to the community so that that community gets strong. But I, I really think that that's a, um, a key aspect of, of, of this community economy concept, but then mm -hmm. just going forward, I think uh, it's a, it's evolved past the, it's a nice to have, and it's now a required component of brands. Like you have to think about how your, your audience is engaging and how, how they're doing that and, and thinking about the different tools that go into that. I think is real smart. Yeah. And, I, and actually I would, one thing I would add is two things. One is utility has to be very specific has to be like, you need to know in this, in the, in the example section is about how do students learn and grow better mm -hmm. um and can how can a teacher help afterwards or can how can the students help one another afterwards it's a very important one mm -hmm. until you remind me of what you're saying reminding me also is why is community coming back in a big way is because at the early days of internet access was the question right how can we access everything then once you have access to information the next thing is about curation it's like okay so search played a huge role Social play a huge role, but there's a two different types of curation. You curate through your social web, social graph, you curate through your intent on search, search engines. But now what's really emerging is that large platforms, big open networks are breaking down into niche interests more and more. That's why communities 
is actually the cycles are large to small. We're in that we're in that niche phase right now, right? And you can bifurcate it by so many parameters: utility, demographic, interest, values. Um, that's why I think it's prime time to to think about community even more. Yeah, and tactically speaking, um, I, I want to maybe talk about publishers for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I, I imagine a lot of um, people in the publishing industry are probably listening to this, um, and and obviously you have a lot of experience uh, working at publishers. Um, so I wonder, sort of like from your perspective, tactically speaking, um, what is it that publishers can do now uh, and in the near future to take some of these kind of lessons and perspectives and put them into action? Yeah, this is also a big topic. I'll, I will say a few things, and I. And I would speak probably, and I know I, and I'm pausing because I also understand the challenges that publishers go through and the reasons why they may or may not have done them before. Because one, revenue is definitely a very high pressure for publishers. Therefore, a lot of activities within a, a company often is geared toward, does this action or does this investment make money for us? And that was, especially in this year, 2023, um, that's on top of executives' minds at publishing company. So I understand that part. So first, I would acknowledge that challenge. But I think I would, second, I would say is, having said that, the long-term success, like the longevity and sustainable, sustainable business-wise, this is where community comes in. And I think I would, A, have much more committed uh, plan on how much you want to invest in community. A lot of times I see in publishing companies, when they think when they when they say community, they talk about what the advertisers care for and pertaining to the brand. They're kind of defining the community in in the light of what advertisers want. Oh, and therefore they write, they create content to serve the advertisers. And I would advise that companies stay true and reflect on their brands to say. Let's think about our brands in the context of 2023 and beyond for the next three to five years. What does this brand stand for going forward? And making that very clear. It doesn't have to be a very big, expensive rebranding exercise, but it has to be a clear, a clear strategic exercise to be done that will help every department within the company to say, okay, this is the kind of people we are aiming for and why. Uh, not just advertisers, but for serving them. Two is once you have that kernel that in, in itself, they can evaluate your own product, your own products, um, such as the type of content we need, the format that we want, how do we want, what utility we want to offer to this audience. So even a shopping, if let's say BuzzFeed shopping, I'll give you an example. Many publishers now have a shopping component to it. What kind of shopping? Is it shopping based on serendipitous shopping? Is it intentional shopping? Is it um what kind of utility specific shopping do you want? Would you like, for example, HuffPost is very focused on high utility shopping, such as this product solves this problem. That one I do actually really like myself because I do think that clarity helps building community products around it very specifically. Some other brands, I'll say within Buzzfeed 2, doesn't have as much of a strong points of view, a little bit looser, and that makes it challenging. Uh, but I would I would advise every publishing companies to really focus on the definition of, of community that they serve, the utility they want to offer, and reevaluate. Um, so I'll say one third thing I want to say 
it's very common for publishing brands to continue their brands because they've had the brand for so many decades. Um, and that proliferation of brands and at some point was very helpful for them. And I know sometimes brands are created to help advertise, to sell advertising campaigns. But there comes a time also to reevaluate, let's say, portfolio of X brands, which ones are the flagship brands that matter now, and which ones do we sunset? And having that courage to do so will actually help to have much more focused uh, in their communities that they serve. I think that's really good uh, insight for publishers and brands. Um, and, uh, one thing I'm wondering, you have, uh, obviously experienced as well in the, uh, agency world. Um, so I'm wondering, how do you see agencies involved in managing, uh, this sort of change in orientation, uh, towards community? Yeah. You know, even though I didn't work within an agency, I worked with a lot of agencies over, over time and some bigger and some smaller. And we also seen so many changes within the agency world. Right. Um, I'll say a few things. One, agencies' role have been evolving for the last 10, 15 years. Um, programmatic, I think, was definitely one that changed a lot of agencies when programmatic becoming uh, uh, coming to play um, as a real option. Two, I think the world analytics have changed. Uh, or data transparency have changed the role of agencies um, where they would have to become experts in analytics, where they may become a creative first house, but they also need to add competencies on analytics. I think analytics becoming a must. Three is brands and publishers have also built a lot of in-house capabilities over the last 10, 15 years as well. Therefore, when they look at agencies, they start to looking at them as a almost like obviously consulting type of a type of a are they is this agency a thought leader in this particular space where they can help us to maximize and optimize the assets we have capabilities we have in house versus the agency providing the capabilities uh, years before and I do think that especially in this year with the conjunction of new formats new new mediums like AR. VR, AI, thought leadership is becoming very, very important. And when I say thought leadership, isn't just about conferences or white papers, but much more practical. This is also why I know sometimes it's hard for agency to do is operating their own brands, but having a very deep understanding of what it means to really operate a brand. Um, and having that operating folks within agencies that has operating backgrounds to become a good consulting advisor to brands, I think is really important. I always worry with agencies who have bought into the concept of the community economy um, that they sometimes don't do the best job about um, conveying the importance of the trajectory of a community um, to mm. their clients when they're doing a consulting. So they may bring up that Connecting with a community is important and establishing a community and, and give some ideas on how to do that. But unless it's a really long-term agency relationship, um, communities take, it's like a garden. You have to tend yes. to it. You have to, you have to keep working on your community. And um, sometimes they, uh, an agency can act as a great catalyst to create a community and have some great ideas, but um it's important to understand from an agency point of view that you have to give 
your clients the tools to continue on with that community because um, it's not just like a set it and forget it sort of thing. It can be, but then it's not really like then then it's the community's mind of its own sort of thing. Yeah. No, Joy, that's such a good point because you remind you you remind me of the word activation. They keep they they talk about activation so much, but activation is perhaps five percent. You're starting something, but what does that mean over time? And I do think that you're right. Agencies that used to be very good at activating whether by events, by campaign, that's no, no longer enough in this community first approach. It's about how do you cultivate? And cultivating combined includes both inside tools and also evolving the strategy over time because it's not the same when you first activate. Um, so I think that's a, such, an important, such an important point. Actually, another thing it reminds me also is Agencies often speak on behalf of brands only, right? They're kind of like, we are spokesperson for the brands. But they should also balance, say, okay, let's look at the other side of the coin. What does community want? And really build insight on what the community needs and come in with a strategy that's has a good overlap uh, versus coming to like agency, coming to a publisher's example, saying brand wants X, can you do X? That's a very one-sided approach. Um, and I think agencies have advantage um, because they see so much across industries, across case studies, across campaigns, across timeline, longitudinal advantage that they may not be taking advantage of. Yeah, it's important to understand the where in the life cycle the community is. Um, and I I agree. I think that leveraging agencies or consultants to come in with fresh eyes especially with more established brands to come in and give ideas on how to, whether it's a jumpstart, whether it's a re-engagement with the community, whether it's um, identifying maybe blind spots that the brand um, just had taken for granted that's there. So I think there's definitely a role for agencies, but uh, to be careful to understand that it's not just, um, not every agency is a one-stop shop for like leveraging your community or reactivating your community. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I think I'm anticipating more niche agents, like small agencies, um, boutique agencies, if you will, to rise because the, the space is becoming more and more fragmented. And it's very hard to be a one-stop shop and have all the capabilities. And I see a lot more niche experts deep, but they collaborate with other agencies to provide holistic service, um, which I actually welcome. Uh, because I think that will actually provide more competitiveness, uh, which will give you more creative ideas uh, and also advance the space in a way large conglomerate agencies may not be incentivized to do so. Yeah. Well, so as we're talking about this, obviously, you know, we're talking about community and community is the users. Um, so when we talk about the community economy, um, data dignity, user control over data. This is, these, this is sort of the, the underpinnings of trust. Uh, and without trust, there, there is no community economy. Um, so what, you know, and this is kind of our last question uh, that we have here. Um, so uh, the question is, what can publishers and agencies do to specifically build trust and empower their consumers, their visitors, their readers, their community? 
There's so much to be done, uh, to be honest, because um, I'll say a couple of things. One is, okay, one is just the rise of the amount of sponsored posts out there. I'll say just from an advertising point of view, has eroded trust over time. Um, so younger generations grew up and they, actually my own kids, my oldest one's 10, let's give you an example. She's already aware when something is an an advertising versus a a real someone's post. And that kind of, therefore leads to transparency. Be very transparent about, and I know that word is being said for many times over the last decade and more, but the question is how do you become, how do you be transparent and be clear? And I think there's a few ways. Um, Obviously, if this is a sponsor product, be very clear, this is a sponsor. But I think also be transparent uh, brands can do is to be very clear about your values, transparent about here's the values. And this is why uh, I think a lot of brands should not just talk about the product themselves, but really talk about the values, and then follow with the products, then follow by the advertising, then follow by the whom. And brands that are mass appeal are going to have a hard time, I think, building communities. Brands that actually have very clear and say, hey, here's people we, we, uh, we serve the most. Here's why we believe in that. We'll have a better chance of building communities. Um, that's definitely one. Like the way they approach and bring out the advertising to to their community. Um, and the second one is I'll call, I'll talk about data for a bit. I think the cookie the cookie world, GDPR, so much compliance has been out there for the last couple of years. And having been in publisher world, we 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 comply to everything that is you know, it's, it's imposed on us. But I personally don't believe those have really helped with trust from consumer point of view. Um, what we have now is more steps for consumers to click on, do you accept this cookie or not? And how many people actually read and actually manage cookie preferences? They don't, right? I'll say 99, maybe 90, at least 90%. Um, that actually eroded the consumer experience, especially in the digital space. Um, I think the alternative, which is already rising, uh, I think because of AI, because of contextual targeting, the need to really collect this much information on every individual user in this way is going to go away uh, over time. Won't be right away, but I think it will go, go away over time, which I am personally excited about. Um, and transparency from what data we do collect from you be very clear about that upfront instead of hiding behind a button or a long legal text is no longer, I don't think that's acceptable from a brand's perspective. Um, and most, well, I think when brands do collect information about you, they should attach it to a certain utility to say, would you mind, almost like what iPhone has done, you know, in small ways of saying, would you mind giving us permission to your camera because it will help us X, can you give a notification because Y? very incrementally permission-driven versus a blanketed to accept as terms, conditions, and accept the cookie policy that people cannot understand. And then give people control over time to say what's happening, um, much more grand control for users. So I'll say these are the couple of things uh, that brands should be doing. Yeah, it's definitely what I think about on a day-to-day basis, um, being in trust and safety. And, um, and, there's been a, in the trust and safety world, we talk about the spirit of the law 
um, and how mm-hmm. to interpret it with the spirit of the law intact. In um, because a lot of it is a lot of specifically the the privacy and data, all the laws around data and privacy are either very, very prescriptive or very, very vague. And so having to navigate those two dichotomies, as far as that goes, you have to like go to the spirit of the law. And I think if you let that be run completely by your legal department, uh, you're going to have a very different set of policies and a very different set of things than if you let it be a cohesive goal of each of the departments, be it marketing, be it product, be it um, legal, all of them should have a say in how those laws and the um, how they manifest inside of the the practices and how they ultimately uh, impact the community. 100%. Yeah, I think you said it well. It's, it's, it is about the spirit of the law versus the language and, right, very specific language. And we've, we've read these things and it's confusing, very confusing. Um, and it is a much more about what utility do we want to provide to the community and what is the least amount of data that we need, minimal viable data we need from the consumer. And when we do collect them, is it in perpetuity? Is it just in the moment? When we store them, is it on device? Is it in our, in our cloud? Is it in physical, you know, and so on and so forth. And I think we're seeing a lot of privacy first approaches where devices do not, data do not leave your device, do not leave your browser, where local processing are happening within the device. And I think that will be coming. Uh, I hope there's, no, I'm not sure there's maybe the regulations coming down again, legal to say, to draw a line between what is being uh, stored outside of your device versus what's capturing device by using best practices of local compute using data, not collecting it over time will become the golden standard for privacy first applications. Mm, And the more you can involve your community in that and being transparent and telling them why you're choosing these different tactics and having them have a voice as to, because a a lot of times, like that's a, there's a whole um, trend right now of shadow banning and like, uh, Mm -hmm. because they're afraid to tell the them why they're violating. So they end up violating but the more you, like you were saying, the more transparent that you are with your users about why you're making the decisions that there are, they may be legislative based, they may be brand based, they may be safety based, however they're based, um, the more you can engage with your community and let them be involved, at least in knowing, if not in helping guide where those policies go, I think the better. Yes, because the moment you do share with them, you're actually respecting them to say, respect you enough to tell you what's happening a lot of people don't know oh i didn't know i violate x y and z i didn't know that my reach is being limited in x y and z ways i didn't know my link you know and so on and so forth then you give them an agency to say here are some things you can do uh now that we've shared this with you i think people would then respect i think that's part of a community building is they're being respected um by platforms and i think a lot of times over the last 10 years the respect has gone away where we don't feel like we have enough control. So what we do is we start to pair away. We start to close down our accounts. We stop sharing, right? We don't know what happened. I don't know who sees my posts. So let me not share anymore. My, my, our Instagram accounts are private now. So we want to be as close as possible and then slowly open up because I don't really trust what will happen. 
Mm-hmm. All right, great. Thanks a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Good discussion. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, and that's that's really all the time that we have. Um, so thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Uh, and I hope, you know, hope, hope we can, uh, talk again sometime soon. Great. Thank you so much, Mitch. Thank you, Joy, for, for this opportunity to talk about data privacy and community building. I do think that's one of the most important core elements of a successful longstanding brand building, uh, that a lot of, a lot of companies uh, miss. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks again. All right, you've been listening to The Community Exchange, an open web podcast that tracks the emerging community economy by talking to the leaders who are bringing it to life. My guest today was Peter Wang, the founder of First Principles Studio. Join us next time on The Community Exchange. We'll see you then.